Tanandi is the Festival of Contemporary Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art. The exhibition is at the Art Gallery of South Australia until the 30th of January 2022. You can view the virtual tour online at agsa.sa.gov.au. Hi everyone, well we're back again and this is the final um, session for the Bumper Bumbalia here today on Ghana Country. We're having a Tanandi Bumper Bumbalia. <laughs> and I'd just like to introduce the facilitator for this session is Ali Gamulia Baker. And Ali is a, a wonderful colleague, but also an artist, a curator, a writer, a leader in academia, and is you know, a wonderful person um, to know and to have the pleasure of having you to facilitate with these incredible artists and curators here today. So thanks so much, Ali. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Um, I just want to also acknowledge uh, unceded Ghanayata, um, beautiful, the vicinity that we are to beautiful Karawirapari, um, the river, um, and all of the little river systems and creeks all over Ghanayata. And I also um, want to acknowledge that this place, this site where we're sitting is, is a kind of like one of the hearts of colonial violence for our communities in this country. The, um, the Radford Auditorium here was one of the first buildings to house Aboriginal records in this state and the impact of, um, of the South Australian Museum's kind of and Adelaide University's role in kind of the, the way physical uh, anthropology, the impact of those ideas on our communities is really important to remember. So I just want to also say, I want to acknowledge my ancestors were Murning from the Nullarbor. Um, I've grown up on Ghanayata around really political Aboriginal women, mainly raised by a lot of my aunties and mothers, Murning, um, nanas, mothers, aunties, as well as a lot of uh, local community, Ghana, Nudanjeri, Narunga women who have really played an important political role in my upbringing. I still um, feel very young, but I'm nearly 50, so it's... And interesting, I was listening to Ali and I just want to acknowledge the other artists and speakers that we've heard this morning. The incredible work of our communities. Um, and I guess today I have the joy of being able to talk to these wonderful people sitting here um, and thinking, and I'm humbled and honoured to be able to facilitate this conversation today. Um, I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves and then I'm just going to... We're going to have a bit of a yarn with each other. There's a lot of nerves here, but we're just going to talk to each other and you can listen in. <laughs> so I'll start with... Um, if you want to introduce, say, who you mob are and a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Carly Dodd. Um, I'm Ghana, Narunga and Nuttingjeri. And I'm a visual arts... Um, creative person, I do weaving and painting, and also um, now a curator. Um, I'm Lakota Milarawitra, I'm Arabona and Naranga, and Irish on my mum's side, gotta acknowledge that too. Um, yeah, I messed around with like a few different mediums. I did pottery with my mum growing up because I love that connection to earth, 
then kind of moved on to drawing and painting. Um, but for this project in Tarnandi, we did a lot of digital art, which is something I'm not actually that good at, but it worked out all right. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Julie Goff. I come, flew in from Lutruwita, Tasmania. I live in Nupaluna, Hobart. My uh, country, traditional country, is Chebukuna in the far northeast, uh, and my people are Trawalwe. Mum's side, Dad arrived as a 12-year-old from Scotland and still has a very broad accent in his 80s. Uh, I am a, a, also a half-time curator at TMAG in Hobart in the First Peoples Culture section with four, with four of us uh, looking after objects from around the world from First Peoples. And I've been exhibiting since um, 93, I think, so been a few years in the world of galleries, etc. But um, my work is mainly about what has happened in Lutruwita, Tasmania, and trying to understand it and share it with, with uh, people. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Sandra Saunders, and I'm Narvanjeri Bondik. And I now live at a place called Wongari, which is 45 k's out of Port Lincoln. I've been associated with the West Coast for so many years. A lot of fellas claim me as their mob over there. <laughs> and, and in a way, I am because I live on country at Wangari, which is a special place. Where I live is a place where people gathered from around the area and it is so special and I'm very, very lucky. And I want to thank you, Nikki, and all your mob for having us here once again. What a joy it is. And I danced all night. <laughs> and I thought I, was, I thought I was 16, but today I know I'm not. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Marika Davies. I'm a Wonkanoora woman from the Simpson Desert Birdsville area in the Channel Country in Queensland. Um, I am an artist also, but I am a curator and I just recently took on the role as arts offer at Yutla Pertley um, Art Gallery in Port Augusta. Fantastic. So I also want to acknowledge the incredible Tunandi catalogue and the beautiful essays in, in that catalogue. And I also just wanted to say um, uh, for all of these shows that we're going to be talking about today, there's incredible writing from um, different people. And I wanted to uh, uh, also quote Ali Kobi Ekerman in saying, the drifting sand is an impressive sight when travelling through country. The wind energy scoops and carries the contours of sand dunes to evolve new forms, realigning its living creation. The timepiece of nature is eternal and has always been. Within the drifting sands, one witnesses a similar force within this exhibition of Marika's that um, she's going to talk about. I also want to acknowledge in that essay that Annie Sandra wanted me to say she's not a member of the Stolen Generations and that is being updated on the website, but that's dead, you know, important acknowledgement there. Yeah, there was just a mistake made in it. And I just want people... 
if you got the catalogue, just cross that little bit out in it, you know. Yeah, yeah thank you. Beautiful. So, um, I was, when thinking about facilitating this session today, I was thinking about the weight of responsibility um, for leaders in our community and, and artists and storytellers, um, but also the joyful work that we engage with. So the, the kind of the balance between being an artist and being a curator and the responsibility of our stories. Um, I'm wondering if I can ask everyone to talk a little bit about the work that they have in this Tunnandy Festival and just um, tell us a little bit about it. So we can start. Uh, do you want to start, Marika, up your end? Oh. <laughs> Um, so I curated uh, an exhibition with Ursula with the Port Piri Art Gallery um, region. Uh, it's called Drifting Sands. And um, as the essay says, um, I connect the sand dunes blowing the, the, the sand off sand hills. And that's, to me, like women's voices. And um, I wanted to portray that in an exhibition. I wanted to uh, look at the strength and the um, what else? Uh, <laughs> the, the strength in women, um, whether um, as the artist, but connecting back to their mothers, their grandmothers, all the way back to their country and to their culture as well, and seeing that there was a loss, there was our region is untapped. So I really wanted to push the idea of using artists in our region. And I was able to do that with seven fantastic Aboriginal women artists and also with Ali also who wrote the essay. So the whole exhibition was done around female artists. Um, so thank you, ladies. Um, it was really important. Um, Aboriginal women are the backbone. Um, they suffer through so much through time over the years. So I really wanted to showcase their stories in their artworks. Um, well, Sandra has amazing seven portraits of seven women. And I thought about that for a moment and I thought, wow, that reminds me of the seven sister story and how, how it connects right across our country to so many different language groups. So that's why I also had the seven women artists also to connect with that story. And um, it worked brilliantly. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we have, we, we have paintings, we have embroidery, and we have an amazing install by Annie Levine Nakatora that is just heart-wrenching. So if you've got time, come up and see it. <laughs> Port Perry. Yes. Deadly. Annie Sandra, do you want to talk a little bit more about these seven... Women? Um, yeah, with great joy. Um, last time I was here, and here I go again, um, I painted a picture or pictures about the land. It was about poor fish and all that. And it was very wrenching. It was heartfelt for me. You know, I could see the dead fish in the river. This time I painted, it was like a celebration of women and it was fabulous. Every day in my studio, I would paint a different woman, you know, 
And I painted them mainly from my head, how I remembered them. I mean, I wouldn't say they're actually portraits of them, but I think they represent them and people do recognise them. And it was just a joy. They have lived with me for six months in my house and I'd do one and then I'd do another one and I thought, oh, yeah, I've got to do this one. And, you know, I've got people who inspired me. That's why I chose these women, uh, because they had an influence on my life. You know, some of them, like Dr Doreen Catenary during High Marsh Island, wow. What a fabulous, strong woman. No matter what was thrown at her, she was so staunch and stood up and was there always doing it. Um, my mother, of course, you know, she taught me, you know, how to be creative. She'd make things like she, 45 years ago, 50 years ago, she was making Christmas trees out of branches. You know, these days it's trendy. You know, uh, <laughs> She was fabulous, you know. She'd make us kites and we'd go picking stuff. But she never, ever done weaving, but she'd, oh, yeah, she brushed it off. One day I took her to Tasmania to visit my son down there. She jumped out of the car and she seen these regions. She said, that's pinky grass. She picked all the grass. She went home to where we were staying and she made the most incredible basket with the nut and jerry weaving around the top. I was gobsmacked. You know, here I was 40 years or however old I was and I'd never seen it. She brushed it off as it wasn't acknowledged because she was told it was rubbish and she wasn't allowed to do it. Well, I'm very lucky because I have that basket today and it's a treasure for me and my family. So she taught me those things. Then there's, you know, Joe Wilmot. Wow, the fabulous Joe with her deadly glasses and her involvement. She got me involved in women's issues and the arts, you know, and we've become really good friends over the years. And, uh, you know, I still I love her dearly and we still remain friends. Lowered your, um, next one, Marcia. Well, Marcia Langton, over the years, I've come across her. Uh, first was through Native Title and that I was going to sort of uh, Melbourne or to Canberra uh, to uh, sort of negotiate sort of the Marbo decision, native title decision with the government and Marcia was always there supporting of me and strong staunch, you know, stern and all the rest of it was she. So it was, she over the years has had an influence on me and has always responded. I could ring her up like an example of when that crap happened with uh, Adam Goods and uh, Eddie McGuire. I rang her and said, you've got to do something about this, Marcia. I am so unhappy. They're talking about our mob. I, you know, my kids play football. My grannies are playing football. And she did. Next minute, she said, OK, Sandra, Eddie's ringing you. You need to talk to him and tell him about it and I made a painting of that as well. So over the years Marcia and I have had a lot to do and I've got a lot of respect for her 
Lowage's one I painted too. Um, again, uh, she had such an influence on me. She was um, again in Canberra during those times, but also she was on that set. And when I worked for welfare, she was the first woman that come and talked to us. And I thought, wow, how great is that? Like, women can stand up, women can be up there doing it. So over the years, I have a lot of respect for, for Lois, Lois, yeah. And the last one was me, Will, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you paint yourself? No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, how terrible was that? And, and people say, well, you've got to paint yourself, Sandy. You've got to be there. And if it's a story about me and the influence. And my dear mate, Jesse Wallace, who taught me to paint and use beautiful oils, said, just get a mirror and look at yourself. Wow, what an experience that was. <laughs> but I've done it. So, so I've painted myself. It was such a joy and such a pleasure. And I miss those deadly women because they're not at my house anymore, see. And it was a great thing to go up to the exhibition and see them in the exhibition up there and see the way that Marika had arranged them because I've always had them in a straight line and she's arranged them in the Seven Sisters, the way the stars are represented. And that was really magic. At first I thought, what? And then... <laughs> And then I, I look at them and I, I love her. It was deadly, you know. And that's what's really important. Beautiful country we've got. And I keep raving on. But there's one thing I must say. Last night was fabulous and the dancing was beautiful. But there was one thing that upset me immensely. And I nearly yelled out and said, no, that's not right. It was when the lady from BHP said that Aboriginal people were the first miners. How dare they make that analogy? It is not true. It is not the same. Aboriginal people protect the land and look after it. They don't destroy it and take away from it. So, yeah, I wanted to add that little bit because that had an impact. Thank you, thank you. Julie, I know, I know it's amazing hearing those, it really, the honouring of our, um, our, the people who collectively we um, stand in solidarity with, the people who've um, raised us, the people who um, have taught us, uh, and, and the importance of those stories being visible, being shared and being, put out into the world. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, Julie, I know that you're talking about kind of being on country and caring for country and caring for stories which are really hard to talk about. Do you want to share some of your... Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a huge honour to be here and to speak after you as a... <laughs> well... It's a different, yeah, thank you for that. I um, also want to pay my respects to the Ghana people and the country I'm privileged to be visiting. Thanks, all Ghana. And uh, the strength of the community here is very evident. And um, 
the way that this always happens with Tanandi is so incredible that this is a community of artists that come together that really get a chance. I often feel very isolated. So to be able to be part of this is um, affirming and uh, regenerating in the arts community that we're part of. So we are coming from and with our communities as well, as individuals or as groups, but this is something very special that is achieved and happens here, so I'm really grateful. Uh, for my arts, <coughs> I um, have created a, a... I was fortunate to have a room upstairs, a space gallery eight, but it's got a new name called Psychoscape. <laughs> so that sits forever new name. No, not really, not really. Um, Psychoscape is uh, me in my current sense of uh, frustration, but determination to get through colonial gates. Mm -hmm. So for the past few years I've been travelling country and filming uh, down driveways and over fences or going to national parks. This idea of country is uh, really a bit torturous because so much of it in Lushawida, Tasmania, we're locked out of or we are in negotiation with landholders that are often multi-generational colonists. And, uh, and then there's this uh, sense of uh, there's a problematic and a unease of, you know, who, who did they, their ancestors, directly kill us, our ancestors, which is the case. Mm -hmm. So the work upstairs, I, I just wanted to make it more evident that the psychological uh, torment and problem of access and uh, respond to the collection artworks here because uh, galleries are not spaces that are um, benign or this idea of uh, galleries or airports or whatever not being um, being kind of pleasant or non-problematic but they actually hold stories and energies from what has happened in them including the artworks they carry. So this collection I first asked what is in here from Tasmania and there's a number of colonial paintings and furniture from 1800s Tasmania that I was able to place in the gallery, thanks to you know, Nikki, Gloria, Jack, Jacqueline, Celia, the whole team managing to get this to happen, which is unusual. A lot of galleries won't um, stretch as far as and accommodate as much of what I asked to happen. So um, I've created a kind of miniature Tasmania in there and I made two new films that are res reflective, responding to a place on the Clyde River next to Bothwell. I mean, the Clyde River is actually in Glasgow and Bothwell is a suburb of Glasgow, which is where my dad's from, actually, but this is the ridiculousness of Tasmania. There's so much erasure and absencing of Aboriginal people and the place names are, are completely from the other side of the planet. Uh, and we can't always reinstate our actual language names because they're not all recorded. But the Clyde is known as a place of absolute violence in colonial times. So this river that looks very beautiful in a painting upstairs here, for me, meant something very different. Uh, but to access that river, because I, I said I would do this for the video work before I knew if I could access the river, because if the people that held the land said no, it, there's a complexity there called imminent arrest, which might have been a good video anyway. <laughs> so, but um, I basically someone made an introduction and I got onto the place where the waterfall was and I bought a drone and, um, and had a few near mishaps 
but uh, managed to film the, um, the, the place. And, but it's very, it is incredibly special in reality. It's also infested with willows. Uh, and there was a hold up with um, accessing the going to the place, which I didn't realise was because when I sent the image of the painting to the landholders, they went quiet because it was so infested with willows that I think they felt a certain amount of embarrassment because um, by the time they said, you can come, um, the farmer had been down there um, chopping and burning the, the willow tree to try to make it look like the painting again. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, and he was exhausted. <laughs> and um, and I, I, this is so interesting, because we're trying to access country and reinstate cool burning, like original burnings, to bring country back. But willows are another level of eradication needed. And uh, so when I'm in drone filming, there's like a red one. You can see the red uh, petrol can where he's um, tried to bring it back. They they were kind of like, can't you film next year? It'll be better then. I'm like, no, I've got I've got like three weeks now to film this waterfall. Um, so yeah, that was the other one I tried. I went down driveways. I was trying to find the right spot for the River Ross that has cattle. That painting. The Ross is another region, central Tasmania, Midlands, another hotspot of eradication of our ancestors. And um, that just was a wild goose chase of talking to people. Because if you pull up and um, sort of look like you're about to, I don't know what, steal, steal their letterbox, they come out. So um, <laughs> I couldn't, I think I found it on public land, no, so-called public land, that, that, that footage. It spins on the floor in a manner to make that whole space hopefully um, destabilising because that's, that's the reality of us in Tasmania. If we say we are Aboriginal, if we show any interest in our culture in, in terms of and our places to most landholders, there's a deep unease that we will find our cultural heritage or that we will somehow um, lock them out of what they have a piece of paper that says is theirs. So we, um, that's... That was long, but that's where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. It's always so great to hear um, about your process and I guess, you know, the joy that you bring with the, the telling of it but also the slow violence of, of the reality of the places where we're required to live sometimes. And... Um, just want to acknowledge we're really hot. I thought I was going to wash away last night with the rain and now we're overdressed, all of us. We feel really, like, sweating. Anyway, thank you. Lakota, I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about the beautiful Arabana song lines. Sure. <laughs> I'm feeling, like, the sweatiness from the sun and nerves. I'm wearing alpaca socks as well. Oh, no. like, three layers. I also oh. live, like, in the hills, so it's much colder there. And when I get down to the city, I'm... Needing to take layers off. Anyway, so my auntie Colleen is the director of this film and she's taken off to Alice Springs today. She's left me behind to do the public speaking, which I love. Um, so I'm hoping I can, um, yeah, tell the vision behind this project accurately enough for her and for our mob. So this project is... Um, originally it was uh, filmed in virtual reality, so they're these weird alien-looking round cameras with 360 degrees, so you can see up, down... Um, all the way around and the idea was um, for most because Arabana country is um, where Karitanda is which many of you know it as Lake Air 
Um, so we are custodians of that Salt Lake, and that's where a lot of our Uluraka, our Dreamtime stories are from, and that's where a lot of connection from our mob um, kind of brings us all together. And so that country is, the southern part of that country is about 10 hour drive from Adelaide. And a lot of our mob are really spread out. Um, our country was quite decimated through colonisation. So there's a lot of mob in Adelaide, Darwin, we've got mob in Tiwi, we've got them in Port Augusta, in Alice. So it can be quite difficult for us to all be in the same space and for us to visit country together to share that um, culture and those stories and spend time with each other. So the idea behind that was to create a experience, especially with virtual reality, as it is really immersive to, yeah, so our elders in particular, the ones that are too sick to travel that way to country, can experience their country again. And um, yeah, and also just to find, I guess like language was a big part of this as well. Like I'm also a language worker. I've worked with Arabana language for um, four years now. Um, trying to learn it as we have, last time I checked, 10 speakers left. So it's getting to that really endangered zone and we don't want it to be a heritage language. So um, yeah, and obviously, as you know, if you know any teenagers, they love screens and that's something that's appealing for them and it's something that they want to interact with. So we wanted to sort of bring country and stories and, you know, that connection to sit with their elders who like, you know, a lot of uncles and poppers and nanas like contributed to this and told some personal stories and, um, yeah, so it was just kind of like creating that experience of being on country and learning as you would if you were sitting there with your elders and, yeah, kind of delivering that to them in any space. Um, but for Tanandi, we had it at the lab, and so there, I don't know if you've been to the lab, but they have massive screens. It's not quite 360, so it's not the way we envisioned it, so we had to tailor it a little bit. Um, yeah, but hopefully we can provide it in a virtual reality setting um, for everyone to experience later on in the year. Um, but yeah, but my job in that was to, we went up to country and filmed over four days, um, a lot of driving. I was the only one that could drive stick as well, so I drove 16 hours one day. <laughs> Don't recommend it, it's not very safe, but we made it. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of the illustrations to kind of help tell those stories um, that the elders were providing over the audio. Um, and also because it's quite arid desert country, um, a lot of people can look at it and not see the beauty and the life in it, which I wanted to help. Um, yeah, deliver that to you because I think for, yeah, for desert people we see how much life there is in desert but for a lot of people it can be hard to see what that is and yeah, also just to, yeah, help tell that story. Yeah. Thank you. I should add anything else. But. Thank you, Lakota. I was also wondering about that idea of caring for that place through this, this artwork and the way that it might have changed, I guess, the responses from elders yeah. to seeing the work. And it's already, unfortunately, it was on for a really short amount of time, but it, we're going to, it's going to be touring, isn't it? <laughs> it, yeah. it, it will well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully everyone out here who's all connected up mm. will get this shown more. Yeah, yeah well, I can't actually invite you to it because it's already happened. <laughs> it's yeah. on Tuesday and Wednesday. We've kind of got a short time slot, but... Yeah, hopefully we can show it to you again. Um, and yeah, hopefully it'll just be available. The kind of, we wanted to sort of deliver it to schools as well. So, you know, kids in schools have the opportunity to learn about our culture in a really interactive way. Um, and yeah, and also like the, 
one part I missed was that, yeah, it really highlighted the importance of water and how important that is, especially for desert country, because, uh, yeah, we're kind of in that space where a lot of our water from the Great Artesian Basin is being taken for mining and pastoralism. So, yeah, we really wanted to highlight that as an issue. Um, yeah. yeah, I know that BHP does give a lot of money for stuff here and there, like this and all that, but it's, yeah, about being respectful and careful with the resources that we have, because it's quite scarce. Important. Money doesn't fix no water. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You can't drink money. Carly, <laughs> do you want to talk about um, your work um, at the Jam Factory? And the, there's, a, there's an epic amount of exhibitions at the Jam Factory. Eight. Um, so, but Carly, you want to talk about a couple of them that she's so closely working on. Yeah, worked on. Um, so yeah, I'm the First Nations Assistant Curator at the Jam Factory, and yeah, we've got eight exhibitions for Tarnandi. <laughs> um, and so I've curated one of them and then been the lead on another. Um, so one of them I've curated is with the Hermansburg Potters, which is in the train station in the old um, telephone booths. And the other one um, is at Jam Factory in Gallery One um, with Annie Bell from Maningrida Arts. And with her works, um, she made these incredible yaukyaks. Um, she's big woven sculptures. And I think the best part of um, being a curator is kind of creating a space, a creative <coughs> space for these works. And I find that when, when you see, like often when you see works um, in galleries, it just, they look, the works look a bit lonely and out of place. And so I kind of, I'm really happy that we got to create the Yarkyarks in their environment, in this kind of little rock pool. And we had these big curved walls and, you know, low lighting and spotlights to make it look like the Yarkyarks were swimming in the rock pools. And that was really, that was lots of fun to make them in their environment, um, not just kind of hung up on a wall. <laughs> um, and with the Hermansburg Potter Show, um, that was all about um, the kind of uh, family connections and the intergenerational um, connections in the family. And there was a couple uh, mothers and daughters in the in the exhibition, and um, there was a grandmother, daughter, and grandson as well. And I think that's really important to show, you know, the different generations and them all continuing to learn their culture and pass down their stories and experiences. Beautiful. What's really, um, I guess, struck me about all, everyone here today is the, I guess, the self-determination in relation to being makers as well as um, curators and the, the possibility of the importance of our own leadership in telling our stories. And I don't know if any of you want to talk about the relationship between it, but between being an artist and being a curator. And I guess moving out of, uh, you know, thinking about the ways our, our communities, what, what stories we want to tell and uh, I guess those inward-facing conversations that we need to have in relation to how we want to think about knowledge intergenerationally and you know, honour our, our 
leaders and activists and country in caring for our bodies in that process. So does anyone want to talk a little bit about that? Marika, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I think it's um, great being an Aboriginal curator because uh, we become advocates for our artists and being an artist ourselves, we know what the artist is trying to portray and we can help their voice come alive in the art space. And, and that's what's really important. And, and being Aboriginal on top of that, it is amazing because uh, we connect on so many different levels then. Um, not just being as Aboriginal, but because of our connections to country, language, song, dance and storylines. That all comes into play. And that's really important when we tell those stories of those exhibitions that we have in our spaces. And um, that's why um, when I was part of um, Darwin Art Fair in 2019, the uh, cultural um, symposium, we actually changed the name to Cultural Keepers because we are uh, keepers of our culture in these spaces. And that's what's important because if we don't, who is? And we, we're keeping it true and we're keeping it on the forefront and m making sure that it's going to be there for our next generation to come. Beautiful. Fantastic, yes. Does anyone else want to make a comment in relation to that? Julie? Yeah, I love what you said. I totally agree. And I, I think it is really important to have First Nations curators as well to help share those stories because, you know, in history, a lot of our narratives have been changed and I think, you know, we understand the narrative that we're trying to get out there and, yeah, we, we need more people like yourself, yeah. And you. And, and that's right. We become our, the authors of our own story then and that's what's important. Um, so, yeah, hopefully more, we'll get more Aboriginal curators out there. And being an artist and having Aboriginal people put it together is just magic. It just changes it, you know. You feel comfortable and you're not, you can yarn about and say, oh, yeah, look, that's steadily. And people know what you're talking about. So, yeah, good on yous and keep yeah. it up. You know, yeah. we, like you said, we need more. And, yeah. you know, it's just a joy working with other Aboriginal people who know how to put it thing together like the Seven Sisters. Mm. Who would have thought about that? Only an Aboriginal person, I would say. Yeah, beautiful. Do you want to add anything, Julie? Mm, there's, well, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years even. Like the numbers of Aboriginal curators and writers, art writers. It's really fantastic. So, yeah, it, I think um, where an exhibition will be is important. That's kind of how I was seeing to be in this space as well, but also the, um, so working in the State Museum and Gallery in Hobart has uh, a long legacy of um, very dark, problematic, um, to put it mildly, history with Aboriginal people. And so there's always this, uh, this in March this year, the museum and art gallery apologised to the Aboriginal people of Tasmania for what it had uh, done to our ancestors. Yeah, and it's too gloomy to go into it here, really. But so we're working, though, with that cloud and that's something that we have to be uh, aware that some community won't come into that museum and art gallery 
um, or work on projects. So that's um, it, it, what, and what kind of projects will work in the museum. Others are for other places, you know, not the museum shouldn't have those, that art gallery shouldn't have those stories. Perhaps we, we have to be really careful as curators that we're not, um, not controlling the narratives that should come in, that the community, because I, I am seeing things probably a little more um, darkly than others. So how to, how to give space to the community and they are um, what they are, want to be in the museum is what happens. Yeah. But um, we are working on a project now that is, um, there were 19 artists that are in the exhibition that all wanted to be in this particular exhibition to talk about our cultural objects held in institutions internationally and it's called Ta Taipani Malatinatu, which means returning to country. And um, there's, um, uh, it's a pretty exciting, it's opening in nine months, so it's getting closer. And uh, we're trying to loan back our cultural objects held um, in Australia and overseas and in a long-term loan basis in the hope that eventually we get our own cultural centre where we can have them repatriated permanently. But the, what artists are responding to is um, their own family stories in relation to some of those, the connections people chose where they feel they can make work about. So some of them are very ephemeral, like the Hobart Museum has a wax cylinder recordings of an elder and ancestor of one family. The 18, she was recorded in 1903 and 1905. And uh, this um, elder, well, the family, members that are participating are concerned about the museum holding her voice you know and what does and even if a copy is given to the family the first the what took the voice is still the object in the museum so there's you know there's many many complexities in in what is uh, what is cultural cultural object and what how to respond but the museum is and the art gallery is a kind of place that should have that kind of exhibition so that's what i'm busy working on now fantastic Lakota, do you want to talk about anything in relation to the broader work of the language, you know, Aboriginal languages or the representation of that in the, in the archive and bringing those stories into artworks? How There has been, like, a lot of work been happening because I work for a mobile language team and they're working on um, a Tangani project at the moment that sort of brings out that, yeah, those archived... Um, you know, like artefacts and voice recordings and things like that because, it, yeah, it does often get locked away and it's really hard to access. And I know for me, I've tried to access, um, like, some Arabana and Naranga artefacts that are locked away in the museum archives and not on display. And you can only... You can book in an appointment. It's really hard to email them. And you can only look at five things at a time. And sometimes, you know, like, having that many barriers to access things that, you know great-great-great-grandparents would have made, you know, it can be a little bit frustrating. So, um, yeah, I know that that's kind of a conversation that's still being worked on um, for, yeah, South Australian-based language groups. Um, but, yeah, I think it's still quite early days, that conversation. So, and it's something that takes a lot of work and a lot of manpower and often is really underfunded. So, yeah, it's one of those things. But... Um, yeah, I think language is also a really evolving space as well. It's something that, yeah, is being more talked about and people are more interested in it. Um, but, yeah, it just um, takes a lot of work and, yeah, and there's so much to be, like, uncovered with that, you know? Like, there's 
voice recordings here and archives there and, you know, and it's like a lot of the time these um, grammars and whatnot, like you kind of need um, to be a linguist to really understand the language that they're talking about and what that means and how that affects the language and how you put it all together. So, um, yeah, it's about kind of linguists taking on that work to make it more accessible for people that don't go and study for three years to be a linguist, which I haven't even done either. I'm just learning as I go. Fake till you make it. <laughs> but I don't really know what I'm talking about. But yeah. Mate, you do. You sound very knowledgeable. So um, I realise we're probably just a little bit over time here, so it's 12.48, but I want to get the artist to stand and acknowledge all of the incredible celebration of our cultures and histories and communities and art, joy and the responsibility of all of that that these beautiful people have talked about today. So thanks everyone for listening and thanks. Carnandy is presented by the Art Gallery of South Australia with principal partner BHP and support from the Government of South Australia. View the virtual tour online at agsa.sa.gov.au.